Welcome to Carve Your Own Fucking Path podcast, a podcast about kick-ass women who found the clarity and courage to carve their own path. I'm Willow, your host, transformation coach, and NLP practitioner. Each episode, I'll share personal stories alongside candid interviews with women who have boldly stepped into the unknown. Expect to hear juicy topics, messy truths, and extraordinary journeys. My hope is to inspire your inner risk taker to stop overthinking and start taking action towards carving your own path. Now, onto the show. Hey. Yay. Hi. <laughs> Willsie, I'm so not prepared. I don't know what you're going to ask me. Oh, God. I'm not prepared either. Are we just going to do like a the wing it? Oh, we're going to wing it. Okay. <laughs> I'm so freaking excited to have Jill Callen on the podcast today for a special love edition. You didn't know that it was going to be a love edition, but I didn't, but I'm honored. <laughs> so Jill and I know each other from many years ago, working in San Francisco together at one of her many corporate jobs. Um, I was there just for a couple of years and Jill is a marketing maven. So now you're chief marketing officer at a successful startup in San Francisco. I mean, I don't want to hear your whole resume. You know, we want to get to the juicy stuff a little bit about yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, like you said, I've been in marketing 20 years. I started off in an ad agency world and then kind of progressed to different brands as the marketing world shifted. Everything changes so fast in marketing. So definitely have experience doing digital and performance-based acquisition, um, working for brands uh, that are e-commerce, like Shutterfly and Tiny Prince, mm-hmm. where we met. And then I really wanted to, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I really wanted to get startup experience. So I'd always kind of manage these big teams um, at big brands. And this is the first time I'm, I'm managing, you know, a small team in a company of 18 people. So it's been a pretty mm-hmm. radical shift in my career. Yeah. So let, yeah, let's talk about your path. I mean, you've been blazing your trail. Tell us a little bit about your path and like how you ended up in San Francisco. I was really lucky. I have had amazing female mentors throughout my career that I really credit with the mm-hmm. success I've had. And so I uh, was introduced to a woman at a big agency in San Francisco back in the 90s. It was very intimidating. I had no agency experience, but I had years mm-hmm. of sales experience. And she took a chance on me. And so I had never lived out of state before. And so I then took the leap of faith and moved to Hoboken, New Jersey, mm-hmm. <laughs> and worked for Verizon Wireless for seven years. And I think you know, when you talk about carving your own path, I think it's important to say, like, I always kind of suffered along the way with this imposter Mm. syndrome, like, am I good enough to be an associate director? In my mind, I had this internal kind of demon and challenge, like I want to get to the top of the food chain in marketing. But I also always like you wanted to find a more kind of non conventional way to survive and live. And so I battled with that a lot. And then do I really want to be a leader and take on all the pressure that comes from that. I think it was it was a struggle. And you now are yeah, spearheaded another startup before the one you're at now. So you're not slowing down, it seems like. I honestly, it's like I love to build and I love to create. And I just, these opportunities have kind of honestly come through my network. I haven't been able to say no. Okay, so let's dive into the to the juicy bits now. Talk about your path in love. So I'm going to, boiler alert, I'm going to tell everyone that you have one of the greatest love stories of all. Uh 
it is an inspiration to me and I'm sure to many. Yeah, I know it hasn't been an easy road. Well, I realized relatively early before I was 30 that I was gay, but I was engaged to a man that I had been with for 10 years. And so, and it was a time when it wasn't as acceptable. Ellen wasn't out at that point in time um, in my life and it was really scary. And so I finally took liberty to explore my sexuality and realize, yep, what I thought was true is true, I'm gay. And I really didn't know what to do with that. It's kind of like an identity crisis that you go through. Um, and it was a very long decade of living in the closet, living my life and dating women and exploring that side. But mm -hmm. it's like, it took me a decade to get really comfortable with it. I think I really suffered with internalized homophobia and it was a blessing when I got the opportunity to go live in New York because I was able to get some separation from my family to be mm -hmm. closer to a woman that I was falling for at that point in my life and to really explore like, is this, is this really true? Is this a phase? All the questions that, you know, people ask me when I come out uh, is my mom. Um, and I was able to really kind of solidify and, and come out in New York. And there's just no better place in the world to come out in New York City. Um, oh, I bet. Yeah, it was just a really exciting time. And I kind of had this perception of what lesbians were going to be like as a large community. And I was just totally blown away when I had heard that the best lesbian bar was called Starlight on the Lower East Side. And then it happened on Sunday nights at nine. I was like, oh, screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. It's a school night. Um, and I walked into this world of amazing friends and girlfriends and just a totally welcoming community mm -hmm. uh, where there were women just like me that were gay. And it was yeah. pretty eye-opening for me. That's a huge shift. I mean, well, you were living, you're from Southern California. So did you know any women that were gay growing up? Like anybody? No, besides I didn't. I mean, it's amazing to me today when I talk to kids and they know lesbians and transgender and it's so open and wonderful, but I honestly don't even think I knew what a lesbian was until college. It was, it was just very sheltered. And I had a very stereotypical view of what lesbians were. And New York just blew all that up. It was just this whole world of like, wow, it's, I'm comfortable in my skin now and I'm around kind of my people and they look like me. So that was, that was amazing. What was it like at work? You were in New York for 10 years, right? So did you integrate that at all into your, your corporate identity? It took a while. So my office was in um, Morristown, New Jersey, which is pretty conservative suburb in Jersey. It's about an hour outside of New York. And no, I wasn't. I, I think I would talk about, uh, I would talk, I would make up names, right? Like Nick, it could go either way, boy or girl. I would avoid he or she, um, you know, pronouns weren't really a thing back then, but I did it anyway. And then I met a lesbian at work and she always referred to her girlfriend as her roommate. Oh, and I was like, come on, you're coming in in a giant's jersey. There is no way your roommate's packing you lunch at 32 years old. You know? She was my rock. She was absolutely amazing. And we went out and just got hammered mm -hmm. and talked about everything and became a really good 
friend of mine and is a really good friend of mine. And eventually she married her partner and came out and stopped calling her her roommate. You know, it was, it was, that was the only gay person I knew at work. Okay. And then your transition over to San Francisco was a, a job opportunity. Yeah. Right. My dad was sick and I was ready to get back to California, but I wanted to do it um, knowing that I had an opportunity lined up in San Francisco. So I started, I reached out to a recruiter and very quickly the opportunity at Shutterfly came my way. Mm-hmm. And I was out of New York in like two months. I dove in and I know you've at length told me about how the scene is in San Francisco and it definitely doesn't compare to New York. <laughs> I was a little disappointed when I got here. I was like, it just, you know, there was so much energy in New York City and it it felt really quiet when I got to San Francisco and it definitely is more of a town than a city. Mm -hmm. And so there was an adjustment period for me for sure. And I was starting over. I had an amazing community of women uh, who were friends of mine, a very active social life in the lesbian scene in New York. And it was really like starting over when I got here. So it was, it was hard. I had to rebuild community. And then did you get into any relationships in San Francisco? I really didn't. I dated and I met a group of friends relative. Oh, um, at Shutterfly, I had met a gay woman who also kind of took me under her wing and was like the mayor of San Francisco lesbian community. But it was it was years of just kind of dating with it not really going anywhere significant. I definitely didn't get into any kind of committed relationship with anybody the first five years I was here. It's, it's not easy, especially in a, in a smaller pool of people, you know, I mean. Smaller pool of people here. And it was, I really like to avoid kind of that like, six degrees of separation when it comes to lesbian communities, because <laughs> you become friends with somebody and then you tell them about someone you're dating, like that's my ex. And it's just, it's messy <laughs> and you lose friends and you lose dates. And it's just, so I always tried to kind of keep that separate. Um, mm-hmm. And I, a lot of the women that I dated, I ended up having more of a friend vibe and friend zone situation yeah. than a love connection. Mm-hmm. When I guess when I met you, which was, I mean, a while ago, you were looking, right? But how were you feeling? Oh, I was feeling like it's never, I'd given up. I was like, it's never going to happen. I went from being just kind of really negative. <laughs> it's like self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm never going to meet anybody. I wasn't like poor me, but I was just like, you don't understand how hard it is. Yeah. You think it's hard to date men. The pool of women is so small. Lesbians in San Francisco are different than lesbians in New York. There's just more of them in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty convinced that my life of dating and love was going to be more like a mini series than a main event. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, let's just roll with these little chapters and see what happens. And I really had just kind of said, I'm just going to continue at this point mm-hmm. to focus on my career and keep going. And I think I, at this stage of my career, overcome the imposter syndrome. I think it comes and goes for everybody. But I think I really had put that aside. And, and then it was like, well, how do I manage through this stress that I'm feeling at work? And I think it just kind of got my mind off focusing or obsessing over whether or not I was ever going to get married. I mean, both of my sisters had been married for 15, 20 years, um, have stepchildren or children of their own that are well into their teens Mm -hmm. so I was like I just missed that I missed that ride this time around and I was okay with it I was starting to be anyway or I thought I was yeah tell me about more about that so as a going back I guess way back because you were in you were in line to marry a guy you were engaged and going down this traditional path and then you clearly you know started going another direction did you 
Did you still crave that partnership, that traditional marriage, family dynamic? Not in the beginning. Um, coming out is like you kind of start from the beginning where you just want to go out and party and get drunk and meet <laughs> as many women as possible. And no, relationships were the furthest thing from my mind for the first two years. Um, when I came out in New York, it was just like, I want to date. I want to go to dinner. I really want to like, it was just like I was reinventing myself. And I didn't exactly know if I had a type or if I was just open. And so I just wanted to go out and have fun. Once I finally got through the relationship that took me back East, which didn't end up working out. And she ended up marrying a man going back to men. And I was like, what do I do? I've never been to a gay bar. The women that had been in my life up to that point had literally, they were discreet relationships, but they were from my inner circles. And so I wasn't out in either of those relationships and nobody knew that we were together. And all of a sudden, and they were amazing women, but all of a sudden I was like, now I'm on my own. And like, I've got to go to a gay bar and figure this out. Mm -hmm. And so relationships were the furthest thing from my mind after kind of being burned by the first two women yeah. that I dated. But it never deterred you, clearly. I mean, you were just like, okay, this is love just looks a bit different. Yeah, love just looks a bit different. And I really had to kind of put myself out there and and be okay and just laugh and have a good time and be with like-minded people and meet people and feel alive again and feel connected to a community that was gonna be there for me. Mm -hmm. And that I and and to to realize that dating bisexual women was probably and it works for some people, it didn't seem like it was working for me. And so I had to kind of be like, is this a self-fulfilling prophecy? I'm picking women that I know aren't gay. Mm -hmm. um, and and that was coupled with just going out and celebrating a lot mm -hmm. uh, for the first few years until I was kind of, you know, again, craving that relationship mm -hmm. and that closeness with one person. Yeah, definitely. Was there like a turning point for you that you were just like, this is, I've had enough? Yeah, I think um, when I was approaching 50, a little bit, you know, a few years before, I just got to a point where I was like, I want to meet somebody outside of the bar scene, outside of the friends that I know, and I want to fall in love. I'm ready for it. Like, I feel like I've faced my demons. I'm ready to be vulnerable. I do want to be in a relationship. I don't, you know, I bought a house. It was like, what am I doing in this house alone? <laughs> you know, it sounded so great to move up and then I moved into it. Um, but I really think I was starting to crave a personal relationship that felt deeper than just physical attraction mm -hmm. with somebody that shared the same values. And frankly, I have so many great friends that have so many great friends in the city. It just felt really incestuous. It was just the same people, whether I was going online or I was meeting friends through friends, it was just the same women over and over. Um, and I, I didn't feel like, I felt like there was another community of women that weren't online, that weren't friends with me, that were out there, but I didn't really know how to access them. Mm -hmm. Do you have a moment of clarity that you can recall that you just, like with the turning point? I was really, I had been like really trying to play the numbers game with online dating and just over and over again, just being really not satisfied, not because the people and the women or the women weren't great. They were, it just, you know, sometimes it would be like friend zone. There was no physical attraction. Sometimes it'd be physical attraction, but it was never going anywhere. Mm -hmm. I just never felt like I 
experienced the whole package and that I met anybody that I could see myself in a long-term relationship with. And so I, um, a friend of mine over a drink was like, you should consider this lesbian matchmaker. She's got a full business and she's got a, a network of women um, that you can date either in LA, San Francisco, or if you're open, New York. And I was like, matchmaker? I don't know why it was so polarizing to me because it's not that different than going online to meet somebody, but I was really resistant to it. So I sat with that idea for about a year before I actually did anything about it. I mean, I kind of struggled with just paying for this service because it's expensive, but it's basically six dates for a sum of money. And I'm like, what if I don't find it in six dates? Then what? Because yeah. I kind of felt like it was my Hail Mary to finding true love. Yeah. Okay. So you you get six dates. Did you go on all six? No, I went on four. And then I froze my account. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So I have to say, I remember this. You were feeling discouraged. You went on your third date and you're like, I don't know. This just is not clicking. And then you had a date with someone that was on paper looked good. Yeah. So the matchmaker called me after my third date and was like, how did this one go? And I'm like, well, it's getting closer, but still like chemistry wasn't there. And, you know, you kind of run through, she doesn't let you see a photo of the woman you're going to go on a date with, which is, is crazy. Um, so you really, she, yeah. And it's, of course I would try to get information and then Google search people <laughs> before I would say yes or no to the date. Um, but she would discourage me from doing that. Cause she's like, you know, your type hasn't worked for you. So I'm trying to match you on deeper characteristics of longevity like and goals. My fourth date, Brianna, didn't look that great on paper. She was 18 years younger than me. I was like, literally, I remember being like my, th the matchmaker's name is Frankie. I remember being like, Frankie, what the actual fuck? Like she was born the year I was graduating high school. How is this going to work? <laughs> and she's like, hear me out on this. You are a much younger version of 48 and she is a much more mature version of 30. She's like, guess where she's from? And I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, well, guess. I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, Long Beach. So she's from my hometown. So I was like, okay. And she's like, go on a date with her. She's amazing. I didn't know what to expect. I just went into it like every other date where it's like, I'm going to meet this person. She knows my age. She's okay with it. I know her age. I'm okay with it. We have a lot in common. And let's just see what happens. And like any of the other dates, I was nervous you know, because they're blind dates. And so you haven't even seen each other. So there's a lot to take in from the moment that person walks through the door. Mm -hmm. But of course, I Google searched her and found her. And I, I was on board. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so you had, you had an idea. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And she did the same. So we were just kind of hoping that our, you know, our Google searches turned up the real person. She don't know <laughs> until you walk through the door. So then, okay, so you go on the date and... She gives you kind of guidelines, like don't drink too much and just try to have good conversation. And so we stuck to that. We had, I think, two glasses of wine. We closed the restaurant down, just talking and mm -hmm. laughing. We didn't even realize it. We looked around, we're like, wow, we're actually the last first people in here. And we just walked back to, I walked her back to Bart. And I didn't really know how she was feeling at that moment because she just hugged me and we said goodbye. And I said, text me when you get home. The rule was with this matchmaker that if you, you know, you're supposed to give the matchmaker feedback before you reached out directly to that person for date number two. 
so that okay. nobody was feeling pressure or anything. So it was supposed to be this neutral experience. I remember I was sitting in Creative Live talking to my creative director and somebody else just saying like, gosh, I really wanna reach out to this person, but I'm waiting to talk to the matchmaker. And I remember being in a meeting and Brianna texted me and she's like, I'm breaking all the rules here, but here's the bottom line. I'm leaving for New York for a month on Sunday. I had a great time with you. And are you, you by any chance free Saturday night? Ooh, it's got the chill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I am. And so, I was really, really excited for that date because I didn't know how she felt when I left. She had more excitement than she was conveying. And it, to me, felt like the first legitimate date I'd, I'd had in a long, long time where you're legitimately excited. You know, it's going to be special. You know, somebody's coming at it from the same place that wants the same things as you are. So it was just a really amazing circumstance to enter into. And I, I just, you know, it was like that kind of date where you're like planning what you're going to wear. You're going to work out at four o'clock. You're going to give yourself two hours to shower. You're going to get there 30 minutes early. You're not going to drink before the date because you want it to go well. Like that doesn't right. happen that often with me. <laughs> no. God. Yeah, I'm usually doing a pregame before the date. And we had just a really, really great night. We went and had dinner and we stayed out. She was leaving the next morning at like six or seven. We stayed out till like two in the morning. We were both just really excited, but it was really hard because she was going away for a month. I just kissed her goodnight. And then our romance kind of built up over the course of four weeks while she was in New York. So I wasn't really expecting to hear from her that much, but I did. So we were kind of able to get to know each other in a really slow paced way that felt really natural, but also really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and it forced us to move really slowly with each other. And I remember being at work one day and we had gone to this place, you know, you know, the woods. Um, <laughs> we had gone to the woods in Oakland and we had discovered this really amazing Perry cider called Argus that we, I became obsessed with, you know me. It was like last call, I was like, I'll take two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was at work one day and I, you know, she'd only been gone like maybe a week and we had texted like once or twice, but not too much. I was expecting to really not hear from her. And I got this amazing package and then I opened it. It was a six pack of Argus cider and it yeah. said, wait, hi Jill, waiting sucks. Can't wait to see you again. And it was just like, I was so moved by just that gesture. And uh, I was just really, I was really touched by that. And I knew that it was kind of the start of something really different and felt very different than anything I'd felt in a really long time. And from then on, yeah, we were we were pretty serious after that. So you guys are dating seriously. What kind of plans are you guys making? Well, Brianna was really clear up front that she wanted kids and marriage. And I was at that point really convinced that I didn't, but we mm -hmm. fell in love and we just kind of, it was this 800 pound gorilla in the room mm -hmm. until it couldn't be anymore. And um, I couldn't, despite therapy and trying to get in touch with kind of why I wasn't seeing myself as a mother, um, why I couldn't kind of overcome that. Maybe it wasn't my plan, but I'd met somebody whose plan it was. And I couldn't, for some reason, I, I was just blocked. I couldn't, despite going to therapy with her in couples counseling, I, I couldn't come around to the idea of raising a child in my fifties. It just seemed like something that could not be done. And so we, uh, a year ago, actually, we split up this, you know, we kind of intellectualized this breakup and said, we just want different things. 
we can't do this anymore because it was creating tension and arguments in a relationship when you're in love but want different things and you know it's ending at some point it just it kind of runs its course and i think in the beginning for both of us there was a big sense of relief that we didn't have to carry around this pain i felt guilty she felt sad and it it was just coming together in this really non-cohesive way and kind of we're just refiguring out how to be single that's a huge shift from going you know to such an intense relationship and then splitting up because you had to in a way it wasn't fair yeah for either of you it's like she wants to go one path you want to go another at some point you have to just rip the band-aid off that and that's exactly what it felt like yeah well probably a lot more painful than that right yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much like stepping on glass but <laughs> yeah. for like a week straight yeah um, yeah I remember I mean this was so so incredibly painful for you because you never envisioned this life as a mom as a parent and also marriage right because yeah it really scared me and I didn't really understand why until she was gone and then what happened you know I booked a lot of weekend trips I was like I can do whatever I want you know, I have freedom to go away for the weekend and not worry about it. Um, I don't have to check in with anybody. And so uh, we cut off contact. I was just kind of going through the motions of my job. I mean, I was, I was very sad, but I still in my mind felt like I had done the right thing. And then I don't really know what it was, but enough time had gone by. I had this, have you ever had really visceral dreams where you feel like somebody's there with you? You can feel their presence. I've had it when people pass um, oh. like my dad, where I feel like he's sitting on the bed, but I wake up and I'm actually scared because I feel like he's in the room. I had this really intense dream that she was hugging me and I woke up and I just start crying. And I was like, I, it was like a Sunday. And I was like, this is not the life that I really want to be living. This was my person. Mm -hmm. And I had brunch scheduled with my sister that day. And I showed up at brunch and I just started crying. And I was like, and she's like, I, we love Brianna. I really think you should get therapy on your own and try to uncover what's happening. And it just became very clear to me that day that I needed to figure out what was blocking me and that I hadn't really explored this thing because I was trying to explore it as a couple, knowing that somebody had great expectations and desires and mine were on the other side. So there's this whole guilt trip associated with that. I started seeing a therapist and they like asked me a very poignant question that just really cracked open this whole epiphany for me around motherhood and you know the challenges that my mom went through and why that was kind of blocking me I kind of knew after like three therapy sessions that I wanted to try to reach out to her but I knew that I wanted to also give this due diligence and make sure I wasn't just missing her mm -hmm. and that I really had come around and been like I want a life with you and a life with you means marriage commitment and family. And I was kind of blown away by it too, but I couldn't stop talking about it, thinking about it. And my sister, who's my best friend, was was my sounding board. And she's like, this all sounds it's very well thought out and don't wait too long because Brianna's a catch. And so I was trying to balance not waiting too long versus like not coming out of the gates hot because I knew it was going to freak her out. She was going to be like, what? Because she had yeah. wanted it for so long. Right. Complete 360. How did she react whenever you, you came to her with this information? So I texted her and I said, hey, I think there's a couple things that I'd really like to talk to you about. Do you think you could carve out some time for me in the next couple of weeks? At first she said, okay, I'm kind of busy the next week, but we could do it this weekend. I'd like to do it in a neutral place. 
then I got a text like a few hours late and we had a date. And so I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to work towards this. And then she wrote me back and she was like, I'm sorry. I, I don't think there's anything left to say. I don't, I can't rehash. We're both, this is an incredibly painful point in our breakup and I need to keep going. And I don't think there's anything you could say to me that's going to change anything. And so I'd just like to ask you to continue to respect my privacy and my space. And I was kind of devastated. <laughs> I was like, <sighs> what do I do? And so I just did what she asked and I respected it for like a week, but it was just killing me. Cause I'm like, doesn't, isn't this information she needs to know? And yeah. so I reached out to her again. I, I got the response back while I was having a drink with friends and I was crushed and these friends knew her really well. And she was just standing her, her ground. She was saying like, I love you. I care about you, but it's too brittle right now. And I'm so sorry, but you need to move on. I just couldn't accept it. And so I had another drink because <laughs> that's always the solution. And I just, I started crying because I felt so like just lone, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, God, I'm an asshole. Where was I in this relationship? Why was I so checked out from my emotions? All the while, I wasn't out to my mom. And that was hard for Brianna because I had met her family. She had only met my sisters, but not my mom. And so, and that was kind of my breakthrough in therapy. And so I, I called her, I got home that night at 10 and I was like, you know what? I am like feeling like I'm at the bottom of the ocean right now. And if I don't reach out to her, I'm never going to forgive myself. And I've got to give her this information regardless of what she does with it. So she picked up. I was like, oh shit. We started crying was the first thing because we hadn't heard each other's voice in so long. And it was super yeah. emotional. And I just kind of blurted it out. And I was like, I've been in therapy since we broke up. I love you. I want to marry you. I want to have a family with you. And she was just like, what? I'll never forget. She was like, it was like 1030 at night. And she's like, you know what? I have to take this call. It's my mom. I'll call you right back. And I was like, oh, she's going to leave me hanging. So she called me back. She's like, before you say anything, I just need to tell you I've met somebody. And I literally thought my knees were going to buckle underneath me and I was going to fall to the floor and then like melt to the bottom of the earth. I was yeah, like, yeah. I just didn't see it coming. I was like, what? It's only been three months. And she's like, I've been mourning this relationship for a long time. I knew it was coming. And we ended up talking till like four in the morning, going through these really crazy emotions of like, what would you name the baby to, oh, I'm seeing somebody else. And like, is this going to work or what are we doing? It was just crazy roller coaster ride of emotions. Didn't really know what was going to happen. And I had all these like feelings of vulnerability because I completely exposed myself to somebody who used to be a hundred percent mine and I let her go and she no longer was. And I was like, what mess have I created? <laughs> I guess I'm just, I wanted to ask too, is that, you know, you're doing all this work. You have this clarity finally for what you want to do and create with her and then you have to have the the other person agree with you and be on the same page and i think when the other person is like well wait i'm kind of on a different trip now right that must have been really really yeah hard. it was and so i was driving to work and i was like just my emotions were raw and I was feeling like I could burst into tears any moment or cry for joy because it, it the thought of getting back together and I just didn't know where I stood with her. And I knew there was this other person and it was a Friday and I was like, oh God, now I'm going to have to feel things I didn't feel before. I didn't really think about her with other people. I was suddenly faced with all those demons and like having to manage through jealousy and acceptance and kind of being like, well, I put it out there and now, you know, whatever's meant to be will, will be. And 
I'll never forget, I was driving to work and she called me. She said, I just want you to know, I'm really excited about last night's conversation. There's a lot I need to uncover before I can give you any kind of an answer. And I need some time to think about where I am with this other person. Can we talk at four o'clock today? She said, are you serious? Has anything changed? Can I trust you in this decision? And I said, you can trust me 100%. And she's like, okay, then we need to talk about a path forward. But before I can do that, here's my plan. I want to talk to this other person today and call it off. And I'll be 100% focused on you. So it was, it was, it was wrong. Because she had met somebody else. Is that what was introducing like this new level of? Yeah. It changed things for me a lot. It, um, it did. It, it struck me that it was real and that she, cause I don't know that I was moving on. I was living and I was, you know, moving forward in my personal mm-hmm. life, but not in my love life. Like I hadn't been on a date. I'd been on one date with somebody and I clearly like realized that how much I missed Brianna, the date made me depressed. It didn't, you know, it didn't make me feel like, Oh, there's a whole new world out there. I felt like immediately I'd lost something that was possibly the best thing that's ever happened to me. And can you talk about courage? Because I'm, and I love asking people this question because it takes a lot of courage to do what you did, you know, to come to really explore and dive deep into what was really going on with you um, and why you were feeling resistant. And even if you decided this just isn't for me, there's no right or wrong answer. Do you feel like it was courageous? Yeah, it was courageous for me because, you know, oftentimes you're not really, it's considered in, in, the, in the gay community that you're not really out until you tell your parents. And mm. I wasn't out to my mom. And so I knew that getting Brianna back meant me talking to my mom. And for some reason, even though I was 51 years old or 50 at the time, it, it's like you regressed to childhood. And it's just, I was raised in a very conservative household and, you know, my mom wasn't somebody that I saw at the time as somebody that I could talk to about it. And I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid of her. She's religious. I was afraid of her cutting me off, even though I didn't really think it would happen, but I had all these fears associated with it. And so I knew getting Brianna back meant living my life fully out and my mom meeting Brianna and my mom understanding that we're getting married. And this was all in a, very short timeline of coming out and talking to my mom. And then by the way, we're getting married. <laughs> you know? it, it was crazy. And so oh um, I was really nervous. I, I'll never forget. I mean, I, I just was, was trying to figure out how I was going to do this and talk to my mom about it. Um, if, you know, in fact, I got Brianna back. Mm-hmm. Was that the condition? Did you feel like if you didn't get Brianna back, if she didn't agree to move forward with you, would you have come out to your mom? Yeah. I mean, I think I was ready to, it may not have been at that point in time, but I could see what was holding me back in terms of really being in a loving relationship was not having that conversation with my mom. Uh, Brianna and I ended up getting back together and around St. Patrick's Day and Easter was coming up in a few weeks and my mom was coming up to San Francisco. I'll never forget, I was trying to talk to my sister Judy about it and she was like, oh boy, I feel for you. I was here at work one night late and everybody had left and I was like, it's now or never. And I had asked Brianna, like, do you wanna meet my mom at Easter? Are you, if I come out to my mom and she's open and we can make this work, is that a good time 
for you to to meet her and she was like yeah so it was on it was like there was nothing I could do to get out of it at this point in time yeah and I texted her and I said hi mom I love you and I want you to know I'm happy and I know that you already know this and it's been very difficult for me to talk about with you but I'd really love for you to meet my partner Brianna at Easter if you're open to it if this is hard for you, I made all these excuses. If this is hard for you, you don't want to do it. We can, you can meet her another time. And I sent it and I was just like, oh shit, I need another tequila shot. <laughs> I was like, what? And so I thought, well, I probably won't hear from her for a couple of days. And I got a text back like 15 minutes later. And she said, you're my wonderful daughter. I love you. Of course, I look forward to meeting Brianna. Oh my God. Okay. And I was like... Now I'm going to take another tequila shot for a completely different reason. <laughs> and I remember just screenshotting the text and sending it to Judy and Jennifer and my sisters and, and then Brianna and just being like one of the best nights of my life, to be oh. honest, just like such a huge burden. You know, we, we talk ourselves into these realities that aren't realities. And that was kind of my big takeaway is that it was just a really big milestone for me. And that was only a year ago. Yeah, it's huge, like a huge milestone. Okay, so there's another milestone that's coming up. Tell us about that. Getting back together was incredibly amazing. Our relationship is better than it's ever been. I feel like we are able to talk and get through things now in a way that we really couldn't before because we know that it's a forever game. And so um, we wanted to get we wanted to get married. And I, I had before, you know, when I knew when she was giving me signs that this was going to work out. I had already started brainstorming where we could get married, what it would look like. I had talked to somebody about where to get rings. And so I kind of bought, brought Brianna into all this shortly after she met my mom around Easter time. And that was a hard thing is like my mom had met Brianna in April, but my mom didn't know that there were plans, you know, for us to get engaged in the next six months and to get married. And so it's a lot to be like, hi, mom, I'm gay. This is my partner. We're getting married and we're going to have a baby next year. It's like, whoa. <laughs> really the way that every single textbook tells you not to do it. Um, they say, tell your parents first, give them time, you know? Um, so I was on this kind of expedited timeline. You're carving your own fucking path once again. I was just like, I got to blaze right through the side of the mountain, like head first. I kind of shared some ideas with Brianna so that part of this too was not just like it was all roses when we got back together. There was a trust issue for her making mm -hmm. sure that, you know, I was really serious and that I wasn't going to get cold feet or back out. Um, she had put a lot on the line by getting back together. And so I had to have a master plan and I had one. And then, as you know, we had an amazing surprise engagement that you captured as my sneak peek photographer on the beach. Fun. Um, we got engaged. Yeah. She said yes. Um, <laughs> she was completely surprised. It was a really casual, like in shorts, very California style proposal, very us on the same beach where we committed to being in a relationship the first time three years ago. And it was amazing. And there's nobody I would have rather wanted to capture it than you. I was very honored, <laughs> as you know. It was I really was... cool. Yeah, like lesbians, because why not? We got engaged on, we're both from Long Beach. And so she surprised me. I thought I was going to her dad's birthday party at the beach. And she proposed to me in Long Beach in October and had her whole family and my family at a restaurant in Long Beach. And it's really crazy. My mom has come so far. I mean, from meeting Brianna in April to me telling, I went home in May to ask Brianna's mom for a hand in marriage to make sure she had a chance to ask me any questions she had because she'd been along with us on that ride. 
-hmm. to telling my mom that like we're getting married and this is when it's happening. And now it's to the point where my mom, my mom likes the theater. She's buying Brianna season tickets to the musicals in Long Beach that we go to with her. So my mom loves Brianna and it's been just like the coolest thing to integrate our families. Our families live 10 minutes from each other. It's and my so mom crazy. told all her friends. Yeah. And she's just like to hell with it. Like to anybody who doesn't care, like you're my daughter. I love you. And I support mm -hmm. you. So it's been, it's been really amazing. And surreal, right? Yeah. I mean, we had, everybody asked us if there was a transition in living together. And it's so funny because, you know, we're two type A's and two women who get a lot done. And it's like, our arguments are like, I was going to do the dishes. Why'd you do the dishes? <laughs> so, my straight friends are like, that's not a fucking fight. You know? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Why'd you do all the laundry? I was going to do it. It's like hysterical. So, um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a big year of celebrations. Mm -hmm. Definitely. What are you most proud of? I am most proud of not putting the walls up after we broke up. Um, I think I had intellectualized spending the rest of my life alone, um, mm -hmm. potentially little, you know, mini series and chapters for the rest of my life. And I think I'm most proud that I saw this through and that I conquered and confronted my demons and dug pretty deep and was able to just live my truth with mm -hmm. probably the most deservingly so judgmental person in my life, which is my mom. Mm. She gets yeah. the right to be, I guess. Um, and, and just that my mom and I are so much closer now than we've ever been before because I'm living my truth with her. And right. I think she really appreciates being a part of the planning process and a part of Brianna and I's life. And our moms run into each other now at Trader Joe's. My mom loves her mom and it's just, it's really cool, you know, and it's this whole world that potentially wouldn't have been opened up if I had remained closed. You know, you're very successful career-wise and you've been very driven and focused and had a lot of success in that. So it, it seems like this has been quite a surprise. Yeah, it is totally different than what I envisioned. Because I think what I envisioned was just this closed box of marriage and commitment that felt like what everybody else did. And so I think I thought I was really carving my own path by not getting married and just by saying, fuck it, I'm going to just be a solo you know, yeah. act. But I think really for me, it has surpassed my expectations about what I thought partnership could be. I mean, I've got somebody who's got my back, who calls me out on my shit. We laugh, we cry, we get sick of each other, but we always come back to this center, you know, like this thing when that we're creating together. And so now we're talking about the next step, raising a child together, which I never, you know, I'm going to be on the older side of being a mom, but the only deal breaker I had was like, hey, I still have that plan. I don't know if I'm going to take a sabbatical per se and go travel the world, obviously with a wife and yeah. a baby, but maybe we will. Who knows? Um, but I, the only thing I, yeah, I know there's just, I think what I've learned the most is that, that there just doesn't have to be yeah. rules. And, you know, women are having babies later and, and my partner's younger and she can carry and I could even potentially stay at home you know, or consult while she's doing the corporate job because she's got careers mm -hmm. to put in. Yeah. <laughs> More dues to pay than I do, you know? You put your time in. And that was the only, that was the only agreement that we had. Mm -hmm. 
This has been such a incredible conversation and I really am honored that you were so open to sharing your story. Thanks for, for having me on. It was, it was fun to relive <laughs> most of those. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. As always, my mission is to help light the fire under your ass to go out there and carve your own path. I truly believe you owe it to yourself to be courageous and unapologetic about what you really want. So I want you to subscribe where you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to share your story or know someone you think would make a good fit, let me know. So send me a message on Instagram at carveyourown.path. Cheers to carving your own fucking path, ladies. <laughs>